Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Hello, I'm Listening with me, your main host, Danny, and co-host, Voithy. You mean your main host? No. Voithy. Main host, Danny. Dr. Wolfgang. <laughs> Dr. Dr. Wolfgang. If anything, I'm closer to being a doctor than you are. That's... I mean, uh, not really. You're maybe true. closer to a medical doctor. Medical doctor. Yeah. The most but important I'm kind of doctor. closer to, like, a PhD candidate. Yeah. But doctor, come on. Doctor is a doctor. Yeah. But people who walk around like, I'm a doctor. And they have like a PhD (laughs) in philosophy. I I I mean, yeah, it's impressive. But I only would like to have a doctor. So you can be the first doctor in your family? No. If if there's a plane ride and they're like, oh, is there a doctor? And I'm like, yes, I am a doctor. Like, help us. It's like, I'm I'm not that kind of a doctor. (laughs) So... Today we have a guest. We have a great guest We're, today. Oh boy. Oh, that was my Let's coaster. Let's just throw things on the floor, shall we? Um, we have a great guest today. Uh, we I don't want to give too much away, but nope. she's a sexual abuse survivor. Um, and she comes... She has a really inspiring yeah. story. Yeah. And she comes to, to us um, from... San California, Diego. San Diego, San Diego. San Diego. A yeah. whale's vagina. <laughs> That's a joke. That's an Anchorman joke. <laughs> yeah, for all those people who have never seen Anchorman. If all those people who have never seen Anchorman, then what are you doing? Go turn this podcast, pause the podcast. Don't pause. Try to pause it. Go no, watch Anchorman. Actually, actually listen to the podcast. Then, <laughs> and then subscribe. Watch Anchorman. Then follow the podcast and then share the podcast and then watch Anchorman. And tag us in, in like a post about Anchorman so yeah. we know that you watched it. Yeah. No, but um, yeah. So let's just dive in. Yeah, welcome, Rebecca, and thank you for being here with us. Good morning. Thank you so much. It's great to talk to both of you. Um, maybe just uh, give us like a little, a few facts about yourself, um, who you are, what you're doing, and um, yeah, yeah, so that people get to know you a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm sitting in San Diego, California, uh, and uh, I grew up in the states in California, and. I uh, spent a lot of years in marketing, film, and TV, and um, uh, I'm a survivor of early childhood sexual trauma. And recently, I self-published a couple of books about, one is a memoir about surviving trauma and also healing, I think more importantly, healing from all of that. And um, yeah, I'm... I'm busy with writing more books now and um, looking forward to speaking more about trauma and and not just surviving because I think surviving for me it sounds like your trauma is still kind of has its hands all over you and it's 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 you know pulling you back Um, but moving onward from your trauma and your surviving into thriving so that's why that's my journey today Wow, that's yeah. I mean, um, I think everybody has a little bit of trauma in their life, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, obviously uh, not to the same extent. Um, I had a issue with losing my fingers on my right hand, mm. um, and I had I had to deal with that uh, the last couple of years. And yeah, um, and trauma is something that usually manifests itself uh, over the years, and sometimes comes years later. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that. How how did uh, the trauma um, of of 
you surviving um, um, manifest itself and how did you start recognizing what it was? Yeah, so I, I just want to give context. I was um, sexually assaulted by my maternal grandfather from the age of five to the age of 13. Wow. And during that time, I didn't say anything to anyone, you know, and I don't think it's unusual. I think that it's just, you kind of, get, you, you shut down and you go into a different mm -hmm. place in your head. And I noticed when I was um, a teenager in high school, I was about 15, I think, that I started to hear voices in my head and they were distinct. They mm -hmm. weren't, you know, so uh, I later found out that, that, was, that those were personalities and I had developed multiple personality disorder, which is now called disassociative identity mm -hmm. disorder. And those personalities reflected particular ages where, um, I can't say the most severe trauma occurred, but they kind of enveloped a, a, a moment in time. And I called them five, six, mm -hmm. seven, and 13. And five was my fear. She was, imagine, five years old and being uh, assaulted. Six was my shame. I didn't get to know her until much later in my healing process. Seven was my sadness. Uh, in addition to the sexual abuse that was ongoing, my parents divorced around that age so you know trauma compounds it just mm -hmm. gets bigger mm -hmm. so uh and then 13 was my anger and i was 13 years old when i fought my grandfather off and the abuse ended mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so all of those voices started to manifest in my head and they were absolutely distinct and they had their own personalities and they would literally take over in the sense that um, if I was feeling fearful, I felt like a childlike fear, hmm. not, not, let's say, a 17-year-old version of fear. Um, by far, 13, my anger was the most pernicious and she was the most active in my life day to day. I woke up as 13. I lived my life as 13. Hmm. And that just, you know, what that looked like is that every response I had was through the lens of anger. So if mm -hmm. if I felt like someone in high school, um, if I was jealous of them, for example, they had nicer clothes or whatever, those feelings would would get, you know, kind of warped into anger. And I would become a bully towards that person yeah. or, you know. So I went through life with all of these noises in my head and not being able to be be myself. And then mm -hmm. when I was 20, I put myself into therapy because I woke up one day and I said, you know what, if I don't put myself in therapy, I'll probably end up not living much longer. I got into mm -hmm. a really dark space. Um, and I went into talk th traditional talk therapy. And this was 1990-ish. So the, the, the conversation around trauma and the body keeps the score. All those things had yet to be really discovered, much less, mm -hmm. you know, discussed on a really a global level. So mm -hmm. I entered into talk therapy and it was it was very helpful. It was I got some tools and we talked about a lot. Um, and then the healing journey began from there. So uh, it was really it's been complicated. It's been decades and it's been complicated. Wow. I, I think it's probably not uncommon, especially to have 
um, such a trauma at such a young age, it's probably not uncommon to develop something like disassociative, uh, sorry, what is disassociative identity disorder, right? Uh, yeah, it's not uncommon. I wouldn't think because it's a, in a way, probably a coping mechanism. Like how, how is a young child supposed to be able to understand all of these feelings and what's happening and their own feelings about it, the anger, the confusion, the, the hurt. And it's probably a very common coping mechanism to, okay, I just have to kind of disappear into this other personality quotes, uh, to be able to live with it and deal with it. Yeah. I think, I think dissociation is really common. Mm -hmm. Um, DID is not common so for Mm -hmm. so for my mind to take it to such an extreme where i'm actually not my present self very often Mm -hmm. and i'm living Mm -hmm. life through the lens of a different personality that's pretty Mm -hmm. unusual Mm -hmm. but certainly disassociation is absolutely common i mean people disassociate sitting at stop signs right and yeah. like you kind of, you <laughs> kind of, you lose track as you drive home, and all of a sudden you're in your driveway. That's that's disassociation mm-hmm. on, a, on a on a lower level. So, mm-hmm. and I think that it's quite common when you listen to survivors talk about how they were outside of themselves. As they yeah. stood, in, they stood in the corner and they watched themselves being assaulted, or yeah. or or, you know, a car accident. They can see the car accident happening, and they weren't inside the car when it happened. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's quite common. It's the it's the fact that my mind, you know, the way I describe it is it broke itself into pieces. And those pieces mm-hmm. were not, were living outside of myself mm-hmm. um, from a very early age. And I think that's yeah. probably the big difference. I can, I can relate on some levels. I am also a sexual assault survivor. Um, mine was in 2016. And this, the whole disassociation, I can totally, not to the extent of DID, but just feeling like you are an outsider seeing yourself do all of like live your own life like I saw myself doing all of my daily things but I wasn't really there after I was just kind of seeing okay this is this is what this person does in their daily life but I'm still way back here like what what on earth is happening to me what's wrong with me I feel felt so broken and almost unrepairable to an extent, and the the process of really being able to overcome trauma and move forward from trauma is is a very very difficult journey. It's so difficult because it's, and I think that I try to make this point in my book as well that there's no sliding scale. In my opinion, I'm not a mm-hmm. doctor. There's no sliding scale for trauma. So if you have medical trauma versus sexual trauma versus, let's say. Um, you know, you were verbally assaulted as, you know, as mm-hmm, a kid or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, in my opinion, your body receives it all at the same level. Yeah. And it's, and I think that it's important for me, it's always important to point out that I get a lot of people saying, well, my trauma isn't as bad as yours. And it's like, mm. that's not how the body receives it. Yeah. You know, it starts in the yeah. flesh, your, your flesh immediately receives that trauma it creates a signal to your brain and your brain does its best to to, yeah. to protect you mm-hmm. but 
you know, even someone, I mean, I have memories of I was in a bar once in Virginia and a guy grabbed my arm and I don't, I didn't know him. He just grabbed my arm and he wanted to get my attention. And sometimes the memory of how he grabbed my arm is, is somehow feels as fresh and as shocking as some other stuff that I remember. So, yeah. you know, it's trauma feeds on itself I, I call it like a it's a it's it's just it's like a disease and it kind of grows mm -hmm. on itself yeah. and it feeds off itself and it's and if you don't resolve it um it it will i think it it builds up to the point where it's choking it's literally choking the life out of you yeah, yeah. You know? um that might be i don't know if that's a it's a, a question that can be answered but um so being assaulted by someone from your, inside your family um is i think like the i mean you're you're basically surrounded by people you can trust or you feel you can trust and you're in this uh in this safe heaven of your family but all of a sudden this member of your family does something that completely not only breaks the trust but completely destroys um um that like that feeling of being safe or that feeling of you you don't even have to think about trusting the people surrounding you how how did that affect you in in your later life because i i can imagine that that having this 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 trust that you basically uh, received by being birthed um um destroyed uh completely messes with you i assume i love that question i don't get asked that question very often <laughs> So I am happy about that question. Um, what I have learned, and I've learned only recently, uh, this is uh, 2023 is my year to develop trust. So I really mm -hmm. like your question. Uh, because I asked my, uh, I call them healers. That's not their word. It's my word. My healer mm -hmm. last year, my somatic healer last year, and, I, and my therapist this year. I said, you know what? I said, I think I fundamentally need to understand trust. And my therapist jumped to, well, there's some exercises we can go through to help you build trust. I said, no, you're not understanding. I don't even know what trust means. Mm -hmm. I said, I stopped trusting at five. Mm -hmm. And if I'm honest, probably a little earlier because my mother uh, is a pretty unstable person. Mm -hmm. So my environment um, was not necessarily trustworthy from a pretty young age. And then it got completely shattered when I was quite young. And apparently that, that age of five, six, seven is when you build the fundamental structure of trust and you learn mm -hmm. trust. So I think that I'm just now at 53, just learning and studying what trust is. And what's the, I think the worst part about it is that, yeah, that betrayal that comes out of your family, um, mm -hmm there's a there's a permanent break for me with yeah. with family and certainly you know with my mom who admitted to me that she knew her father was a pedophile and she didn't do mm -hmm. anything to protect me so there's a lot of there's just a lot of of uh there's a lot there's distance in there that can't i don't think can be resolved and i think it's mm -hmm. i think it's okay that it's not resolved but certainly later in my life because i didn't trust I didn't have healthy relationships. I didn't have mm -hmm. 
Um, and I wasn't always a good friend and I wasn't always great in business because that fundamental layer of trust was not, didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So for me, everyone has an angle. Well, what do you want from me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying my best right now this year, my year of learning how, learning about trust. I'm trying to learn about it and to learn how to catch myself when I start going into those old patterns of, well, what do you really want? Mm -hmm. or what are you really about because those are just those aren't helpful mm -hmm. and if you if you i think if i if i project an absence of trust out i'm likely to meet people with bad energy coming back into me like i you know you kind of create the energy that you attract and so i'm trying mm -hmm. to attract trustworthy energy mm -hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense <laughs> yeah, yeah it does it so, totally does yeah what was your inspiration for writing the book that you wrote? Was it more on a personal level? Like, I just want to write this as like a, my own kind of personal therapy. Or was your intention that it reached more people, that maybe it helps more people? Or was it kind of a combination of the two or something completely different? I, I just, I, you know, I, I started writing the book after a, a, a medical procedure went badly for me. And I don't think I ever intended to write a book about my abuse until that surgery triggered all of my old trauma. Mm -hmm. And then I started writing it. Uh, I've always been a writer in terms of just writing to help me figure things out and to help me, you know, process my feelings. And I started writing it in 2017. Then I put it down and I put it away and I picked it up last year. And as I started to write, I just knew that it was necessary for me to feel more complete in my healing journey, which mm -hmm. sadly will never end, but it certainly gets simpler and clearer as the yeah. more I, the further I go along. But so at first it started out as, well, I'm just going to write everything down and that's going to be good enough. And then it turned into, no, I'm going to write this first for myself because it's very cathartic to finally flush out all those feelings and all of that. But also I was, I think, a big part of me hopes that even if a couple of people read this book, that they understand how trauma bleeds into every aspect of your life. Certainly mm -hmm. it did in my life, everything, professional, personal, it all is painted with that brush and how you can come through the other side of it. And that's really the end yeah. of the book is, I hope, hopeful that you can come through it. It's hard. Mm -hmm. It's really mm -hmm. difficult, as all of you know, but it's you can come through it. So I suppose it started out as a bit of a selfish journey at first, and then it turned into a broader hopefulness that a some other people might benefit from mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. hearing the story. Um, if I may ask, um, some, some people, when they get assaulted, feel like a guilt or feel like uh, mm -hmm. a sense of, was it my fault or was it? Did I do something wrong or or something similar like that? Um, was there something like that? Um, um, like, did you feel guilt in that in that aspect? And how? And if so, how did you overcome that? Yeah, such great questions. Um, I didn't. I wasn't aware of my shame mm -hmm. until last year, which is really mm -hmm. unusual. I never blame myself for the sexual abuse ever, mm -hmm. but I. One night I was writing my book and I said, I should probably Google shame, survivor shame, and just, mm -hmm. you know, what what is it? Mm 
Mm-hmm. And then I started to read more about it. And I said, oh, I actually have shame <laughs> mm-hmm. that I wasn't. And I wasn't aware that the voice in my head that was saying, you're no good, you're fat, you're what, whatever, the, that horrible mm-hmm. nagging voice, the you voice was my shame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that for decades. I, I didn't know that. So what I found interesting is that through my somatic process is when I finally met six, she was a host to my shame. She wasn't my actual shame. She mm-hmm. was a host to it. I believe shame kind of like a parasite. It kind of mm-hmm. attaches itself to you. And then when six, when I finally reconciled and released these uh, personalities, I was in a somatic session where I confronted shame itself. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, what, why are you hurting me? And shame was like, well, I'm hurt. I have to share it with you. And shame took me back to particular moments during sexual assault. And it turns out that I was ashamed because I thought people could hear or see what was happening to me. Hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And I had to just reassure shame. It sounds kind of strange. Reassure shame through that. These, these vignettes playing out in my head that no no one can see you and no one can hear you and it's almost over and it's mm-hmm. you know so it's I think I think shame is the most pernicious terrible result of trauma and I'll mm-hmm. say in particular sexual trauma because I can't speak about other traumas mm-hmm. and everything I've read says that shame never completely goes away yeah. Um, and that's probably was really hard for me to accept. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But what's interesting is I've, I, my my healer last year, she's like, let's, let's, let's just practice something. And she said, I want you to picture shame as a ball of energy coming at you. I said, okay, I can do this. And she's like, receive it, receive the energy. Because if you push back on it, it just doubles down, right? Energy will just come back at you if you don't let it pass through you. She's like, Mm -hmm. receive it, but receive it as a ball of light and then catch it in your hands and then push it down and push it away and say no. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a couple of months and now I don't hear from shame very often. I don't hear the you voice. So it's it's, shame is really complicated. Yeah. I I think it's... That's a very, that's everyone who's experienced some sort of form of sexual assault can probably attest to that, that shame is one of those, and guilt, those feelings are things that just, as much as you want, that's the thing that you probably want the most to go away from the, at least from my perspective, I want the most for that to not be part of it. But it's also, like you said, the thing that's probably always to an extent going to be there. And it's about how you cope with it and how you accept that that will help you to somehow not fully move on from it but be able to be at peace with it but i think it's a very confusing aspect of trauma because you for myself if i give advice to other people if people come to me and share their story because i'm so open with my story and they feel okay i can talk with this person i want to open up they tell me, okay, this shame thing, I feel like I'm at fault. I feel guilty. I feel like my trauma is not as bad as yours because 
you know, you went through something so much more horrible than I did or vice versa. Sometimes I feel that way. And it's, I always am inclined to give the advice. Yeah, but you're, you're allowed to feel that and that's okay. And it's not your fault. You just have to tell yourself it's not your fault, but it's okay that you feel that sometimes. And it's normal to feel that, but I can't take my own advice (laughs) where I can dish it out and be totally at peace with dishing that out. But then I'm like, Oh, like I have days where I'm just like, it was my fault or I could have done this, this and this differently and maybe avoided the situation. It's this, it's this weird cycle of guilt and shame that doesn't seem to stop. (laughs) Yeah. And I, 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 yeah, I, it's, uh, I don't know that it's talked about in real terms often enough. Yeah. I, I just in practical term, what does it sound like? What does it feel like? Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as I started to consider trauma as different forms of energy, and like my Hila last year, she said, "Look, she's like, it's just a, it's a, it's a malfunctioning form of energy." Mm-hmm. She said, "So, so take control of the energy." Mm-hmm. She said, "Receive it. Don't reject it anymore. Receive it." And start to manipulate it, you know, with your hands. And now you're in control of it. And now you can tell your mind, the part of your mind that just, just is stuck. Really, it's just, mm-hmm. just energy that's just locked in one certain place. You're mm-hmm. now giving that energy somewhere else to go. Yeah. She's like, and as, and so I think for me, knowing that the energy was no longer being uh, held hostage inside of me, that it was actually, given away to flow through me and away from me. Mm-hmm. And that's when the my huge breakthroughs really happened was when I started to think about trauma and all of the, you know, between the flesh and my head and all of that. I started to think about it a bit differently. And that's when my really big breakthroughs happened, when I kind of mm-hmm. changed the way I thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, with a lot, like life throws a lot of stuff at you. Um, and obviously we can't choose certain things um, that happened to us. Um, and there is the saying, what doesn't kill you, make you stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you think that applies to your situation? Do you think that you grew from that to an extent where you can say that you were much stronger or, um, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I can't think of another word, but uh, yeah. now, now than than you were before. I think that it's, I made a video about this. Yeah, I um, I had to move recently and quite abruptly to get out of a mountain community before a huge storm hit. And I put together a move in 24 hours. And someone mm-hmm. very close to me said, wow, you know, um, you always manage to land on your feet. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? my resilience, my strength that people have always commented on and, and, and looked as a, as a, as a, as a positive attribute. Mm-hmm. I thought, don't, don't congratulate me on my resilience because my mm-hmm. resilience is born out of violent sexual trauma mm-hmm. and no one should be as resilient as me. Mm-hmm. No. And so, um, you know, I had a very successful career in film and television as an executive producer because you could literally drop me in any country anywhere in the world. I can figure it out. Mm-hmm. I can get anything done. I can. I don't have a lot of fear. I don't. Uh, you know, I'm. I'm strong. I'm resilient. Mm-hmm. 
And unfortunately, I think what I've realized is that that resilience that people find commendable or, wow, I wish I was as organized as you. I wish I mm -hmm. could just mm -hmm. figure things out as quickly as you. Unfortunately, that resilience uh, means that I'm not very approachable and mm -hmm. I'm not good at being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And people never see me as someone who might need help because I'm oh, always sure. I'm always figuring it out, right? I'm always mm -hmm. able to survive anything that comes my way, I'll figure mm -hmm. it out. And so lately, when I have asked for help, because I've had a really complicated couple of years um, when COVID came and everything else, mm -hmm. I was uncomfortable asking for help. I was apologetic about it. Mm -hmm. And people didn't necessarily respond to my vulnerability very well because I think they thought, well, you don't need help. You'll get through it. You always get through it. Hmm. And I, and I, so I, I told this person, don't, don't congratulate me on my resilience and don't look at it like it's a great thing because mm -hmm. I'm just now figuring out how to ask for help and not be embarrassed by it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so yes, I can get through anything. I can survive anything that's not a great way to live. Yeah. You know? yeah. What is your relationship like with your family? Do you, an extended family, does, is it, I'm sure it's complicated. That's probably a no brainer, but <laughs> how was that growing up? Were you able to talk about it at some point as still a young adult or did it take you a long time or have you, I'm sure that some of your family, if not most, probably knows by now about what happened to you. But did it take a long time before you were able to trust your family to even share that with them? I didn't tell anybody in my family until I was about 1920. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. response was very disappointing. Mm -hmm. And it was a blip on the radar. And then it disappeared. And mm -hmm. uh, no one ever asked me about it ever again. Mm -hmm. And certainly mm -hmm. my parents have never, ever been supportive of whatever healing journey I was on. I've never been asked about it. Mm -hmm. And my siblings have also never really stepped up into that role. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I moved away from home. I went to D.C., New York, Egypt, Kenya, different places. Oh, there's a cat mm -hmm. now. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we love cats. Guess who just woke up? And, uh, and, um, I can say that my family today, after mm -hmm. I've written this book, uh, my sister read my book, my, mm -hmm. the rest of my family, including my parents have said they won't. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had to accept and I continue to practice acceptance. This is not, and this is probably the most complicated part of this, I think, mm -hmm. is that my family is incredibly disappointing. Mm -hmm. And I am so lucky that I have developed my own family. I don't have children and I've never been married. And I could talk about mm -hmm. that all day. Um, <laughs> but I've created my own family uh, over mm -hmm. the years. And so in the disappointment I feel with my family, I'm consoled by my real family. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that it comes down to, I just don't trust them. Yeah. I don't, mm -hmm. 
I don't fundamentally, I love my family. Um, I'm, I'm learning how to create boundaries with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I fundamentally don't trust people who, when I said I was sexually abused by grandpa, they all chose to rally around my grandmother mm-hmm. and my grandfather at that time was dead. And, um, and they never, ever took my side. Hmm. And I cut off all mm-hmm. communications with my grandmother and an aunt who said some really atrocious things to me. And mm-hmm. I have always felt like that was their choice. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, you choose them instead of me. That's how it felt. Yeah. Yeah. And if yeah. you're going to choose uh them instead of me then how could i ever possibly trust you yeah 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 i you know so i can go out to, and have fun with you like i can go out and hang out with my siblings and i can even see my mom and i don't see my dad very often and we can have a, a pretty good day but the fundamental layer of trust that would normally i think mm-hmm. sit between family members that doesn't exist mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. understandably yeah. yeah yeah um did you ever turn to other coping mechanisms like a lot of people with trauma turn to you know substance abuse alcohol stuff like that did you ever turn to that too or was that never on the table i coped by uh listening to flight a lot so i Mm -hmm. moved a lot (laughs) Mm -hmm. i could not get far enough away from the center from the source of my abuse Mm -hmm. in terms of southern california uh, I was a compulsive eater and I still have issues with compulsive eating mm-hmm. that I'm working on and I'm actually doing pretty well with it now. And I was a compulsive spender, uh, which okay. is, which is something else that I'm starting to get my head around and deal with. I never got into the drug alcohol, that mm-hmm. path, um, which I'm grateful for cause I know mm-hmm. it happens a lot. Um, but yeah, my, my symptoms came through with money and food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I can relate to the flight. I fled to Austria, so. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes I you relate. just need it, right? You just... Yeah. There's I, this, like, compulsion within you, like, I need to just get, like, as if getting away from where it happened is going to fix all your problems. And I just, or just, I just need to distance myself as much as I possibly can and for me, that was physical distance played such a huge role. It wasn't just distance myself from the people and the, the, just the the area that I was in, but just literally physical distance as far as I could possibly get away mm-hmm. from it. Yeah, I mean, there's a quote in my book that says you cannot heal in the same place where you were hurt, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. think that it's. I never intended to be back in Southern California when, when I was living in Singapore when COVID started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of my contracts, everything, of course, came to a grinding halt. And I mm-hmm. said to myself, yeah. I have to go home if I'm going to, I have to go home. There's just no way mm-hmm. to hang out um, without mm-hmm. work. But it was ex- extremely complicated for me to come back to Southern mm-hmm. California. And within a couple yeah. of months of being back, I was house sitting for a friend in Florida. I bought a car. I drove through 25 states. I was in flight mode. Mm-hmm. on a whole other level. And I went from being someone who used to travel 400,000 miles a year. And I traveled all over the world working. And now I was trapped in America. 
and in Southern California. And it was, Mm -hmm. I don't, I almost didn't make it through. I'll just say it that Mm -hmm. way because Mm -hmm. it was just, I felt trapped. And on top of that, I'm a Pisces. So the Mm -hmm. fact that my ocean got so small (laughs) and I just, I, yeah, I almost didn't make it through that. And it's, uh, I don't think it's, I think that if you reconcile your trauma and if you're, and if you make peace with it and part of that peace is not staying where you were traumatized, I don't think that that's an unhealthy way to live in you. I just think that that's part of your healing. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I I think people need to find their way through. And it's, if that means moving, then move, move. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, moving here was probably the best decision I ever made. And I ended up getting married to this wonderful person here. And I ended up following my dream of what I actually want to do with my life in terms of my career. And I may not have done those things if I stayed where I was. It kind of, the trauma kind of pushed me to really do the things, like live the life that I actually want to live. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's just listening, listening to your instincts tell you 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 don't need to be here anymore yeah Mm -hmm. you know i think that that's really there's a difference between flight and and explore or whatever however you want to describe it and as long as you can make the the differentiation between the two and go you know what this isn't flight Mm -hmm. i'm not fleeing i'm actually leaving Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's it's almost the difference between fleeing from the trauma or leaving to heal. Because absolutely. I think leaving to heal is much different than leaving the space where where everything happened to ignore it. Yes, I completely agree. And I yeah, I'm good for you for listening to yourself. You too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm still waiting to leave again. By the way. <laughs> the expat in me is still very much well and alive and is i hope to be able to be an expat again very soon Mm -hmm. um that i don't know if that's a question you can answer but there are a lot of people out there who deal with similar situations where they have been sexually assaulted and have a hard time even talking about it or even you know um working through it is there something that you can tell them here through the podcast to just maybe that's something they can do to make it easier or like a tip that starts the healing process? Yeah. Um, I think that for myself, I had to find someone who I could speak to where I knew I was in a safe environment. And that was a therapist's mm-hmm. office because of mm-hmm. laws and because of whatever. I knew that what I said in that room wasn't going to leave the room mm-hmm. uh, unless I chose for it to leave the room. Yeah. So I would encourage people who, who have sexual trauma in particular and um, or just you know physical abuse trauma, those kinds of traumas, try to Try to imagine yourself being in a safe place where you can say a simple sentence and it could be as simple as I've been abused. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's literally all you have to say. I didn't Mm -hmm. go into my therapist's office and say, 
when I was five years old, my grandfather used his hands to sexually assault me. I didn't say that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was in my therapist's office and I said, I was abused by my grandpa. Mm -hmm. And we spent three years unpacking that sentence. Yeah. So I think sometimes that the, the the hesitation or the fear of survivors to go into a therapeutic environment is that you is that sometimes they might think, well, I have to say everything all at once. No, you don't. This yeah. is a layered, mm -hmm. complicated journey that you control. Yeah. If mm -hmm. my therapist asks me a question that I don't want to answer, even today, I, I have therapy every couple of weeks. And if he wants to talk about something I'm not in the mood to discuss, I'll just mm -hmm. say, we're not going to talk about that today. Mm -hmm. I control this. I pay for your hour. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so in, in, in all, in therapy, you might actually enjoy the fact that you finally get control over yeah. your story for the first mm -hmm. time ever mm -hmm. in your life. Mm -hmm. That's a great Be point. Because you decide how much you share, when you share, and how you share it. And some people yeah. draw their way through it and share those drawings with the therapist. Mm -hmm. And so whatever you want to do, right? And I also try to tell my friends, because I've got girlfriends who are in their 30s, 50s, who are just now starting to address their trauma. They're very mm -hmm. early into this. And I'll say, you know, it's... Talking about your experience is very difficult. I'm not going to minimize that. Mm -hmm. But it's never going to be, in my opinion, ever as horrific as the actual event. Mm -hmm. Because the event's over. Yep. Yep. So if you can control, just remember you control the narrative with a therapist. You control the pace of your healing. Mm -hmm. And just know that the conversations you're about to have will never be as violent and as devastating as what you've been through, what you survived. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. you'll, it'll be hard. It's not simple, but yeah, you'll, yeah. but you'll be okay. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's very, like the most beautiful yeah. way that I've ever heard anybody talk about therapy. Yeah. yeah I agree. <laughs> Just the, the whole control aspect of you being in control of what you say and you're, you're the one in control of exactly how it goes. I think that's a phenomenal way to look at therapy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe, maybe talk a little bit more about your book. Um, books. You, books. Yeah. yeah. Books. <laughs> books. Um, you have two books right now. Um, what are they about and um, who are they for? And yeah, we'll obviously link um, everything in the description. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, the first book is called It Won't Hurt None, uh, a story of courage, healing, and a return to wholeness. And that's my memoir. Uh, it mm -hmm. starts when I'm, the book starts when I'm 47 and this medical trauma uh, happens and then it goes into all the way back to the beginning of the journey mm -hmm. and it's really meant to be an exploration of well this is what hap this is what a life looks like that's lived life through trauma's lens mm -hmm. and, and I thought it was really important to just point out that when you're traumatized it shows up like I said earlier in every aspect of your life mm -hmm. and then it mm -hmm. also talks about the healing I went through to get to the place I am today so that's the first mm -hmm. book um, and I'm quite proud of that book. It's it's at times a complicated 
challenging read because I'm obviously mm-hmm. talking about trauma, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't I don't sit with that uh, throughout the entire book. That's not the intention mm-hmm. of the book. Um, the second book is called Hurt No More, and it's co-written by my f- uh, with my friend Aparna Ramakrishnan. And mm-hmm. at the end of my memoir, when I had it finished, ready to publish, I thought, hey, you know what? I'm an overachiever, survivor, resilient person. I should write a second book. And so I did with my friend <laughs> because I felt like if you're gonna, if I'm gonna drop this kind of truth bomb about my experience and about healing, I should probably mm-hmm. leave behind a tool for other people to pick up and just start. And mm-hmm. so the journal is intended, it's really, it's a simple journal. It's 10 steps to start your healing journey. And it's got some mm-hmm. really useful guides at the back about how to talk to your bed partner, how to talk to your family, how to talk to your children, how to mm-hmm. find a good doctor. So it was, it's designed to be a tool for the mm-hmm. very early stages of healing your trauma. Uh, we don't pretend to be psychologists or psychiatrists were just Mm -hmm. you know my friends uh got a master's in social work and i'm a survivor so we put Mm -hmm. together this tool and we hope that it helps people get started that's great that's amazing yeah yeah i i love when um people share their stories firsthand because um a lot of people just need to hear things like that to not feel alone and to to feel like okay I'm not the only one. I'm. I. I can do this. If other people can do this, if other people can push forward, I can do that as well. And I really, I really love that because it helped me a lot too in my journey of of going through all aspects of trauma and and anxiety and depression. Just reading and hearing about things that people go through, similar things, helped me tremendously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think remember that trauma would like you to fail. Yeah. yeah. Trauma yeah. trauma doesn't want you to get better because your your vibration your cells have been reprogrammed into a traumatic vibration mm-hmm. and that's where trauma would like to sit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's um it doesn't trauma doesn't want you to get better. So just remember that any kind of voice in your head telling you that you're alone, that there's no one else like you, it's that's trauma doing its best mm-hmm. to keep you at a certain vibration, a certain frame of mind. Mm-hmm. Because it's comfortable there. It's mm-hmm. really comfortable. Yeah. And so uh, it's not true. There's at least one other person in the world that has that can absolutely uh, understand your story. And chances mm-hmm. are there are millions. And so yeah. you're never, ever alone. As much as you might feel it, you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you want to add something else? Otherwise, I think... Yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah, thank you so much for yeah. your time and for your, first of all, amazing, tragic, but very amazing story because you you show that that working through trauma in a not always healthy way, obviously, but in a in a forward pushing way um, can make a huge difference in your life, obviously, and 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 also it shows that no matter what you're going through, I think there's always a way out because going through something like you did in that early age um, can completely mess with you. And there, I think there have been, there are a lot of examples where they they won't survive, where they yeah. will, you know, be pushed yeah. into drug, drug abuse or something like that. And, and, and your story shows that um, 
the, it makes a difference if you really work on yeah. it if you if you look at it and if you see what it is and then face it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks Thank very you. inspiring thank you so much and we're we're very glad that you're here not thank just you. here on the podcast yeah. but in general here uh yeah. that you survived and that you continue to survive and that you're part of this beautiful planet that we all live on yeah we're, we're glad yeah. you're here yeah thank you so much i think you guys are do this amazing thing getting more voices out there it's it's quite a gift that you've been given so thank you for that thank you for sharing your gift Thanks Thank for you so much. Being Thank part you. of it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that was it. Wow. See, I didn't start. Start of wow. Start. Start. <laughs> I did not start. Look, um, the no, but she's really amazing. Look, it's I. We we just talked about it after we we stopped recording. Um, the the conversations that we have with literal strangers. Mm-hmm in that environment is so inspiring and just amazing yeah because you would never in a million ways talk about things like that when you just meet a person in like in a bar or a coffee place or something like that so it's so fucking that's the coolest aspect of doing the whole thing yeah to get to talk to people who have inspiring stories not always easy stories to Mm. tell but getting to feel the energy and getting to f- to see how they survived and how yeah. they pushed forward and how they um, managed to to survive. Yeah, I think it's also these specific types of conversations are also very healing for me personally. Just having gone through a similar trauma. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. You can it. It always. I mean, we talked about it on the podcast. It. it knowing feeling like you're not alone is such a big aspect of healing Mm -hmm. and and coming through trauma and trauma any type of trauma but trauma like that which i can only speak to that kind of trauma it it will forever be with you there it's never going to go away and so you know sometimes you have times where you don't think about it as often but or at least in my case i can say that but I do still think about it on a, at least a weekly ba- basis. It pops into my yeah, head like, yeah. hey, this happened. Oh, yeah, sure. But, or there's something that triggers it, like a sound or a song or, you know, something triggers those feelings to come back up and to resurface. And so to talk to somebody like that is so inspiring. And uh, what she said about therapy, like, literally gave me goosebumps all over my body mm-hmm. like when she was talking about how you are in control like that's like the one thing that you can always trust and be certain of mm-hmm. when you go to therapy you're in control of the mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. and i think that that's such a powerful message about therapy mm-hmm. like that's so powerful i agree i agree and also just the 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 the, the perspective on therapy what is yeah. therapy what what is it there for and how can you um, use it and and I, I love that 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 was the first thing she said yeah that that is literally the thing that that will help you yeah in so many ways yeah well especially having so many um trust issues after mm-hmm. i mean especially in in her situation but i mean i also had a lot of trust issues after even though it was with people that i knew that that my experience was with people i knew but it's still gave me trust issues in relationships. I mean, we mm-hmm. talked about that a little bit mm-hmm. and it gave me trust issues in a lot of other aspects of my life. And 
it took me a really long time to connect the two mm-hmm. because I was like, why would that give me trust issues? Like for me, that, that those two things didn't correlate. Mm-hmm. But uh, being able to recognize that was a really big thing and in terms of healing and just being able to like have an environment where it's like you can trust this person because by law (laughs) they can't share anything. So it's not necessarily about like trying to find someone that you can trust. It's just knowing, Hey, if I go to this place, Mm -hmm. I can at least trust the fact that this information will not be shared. And so that, that alone kind of gives you this sense of power that maybe you felt like was taken away from you. I agree. I agree. And also, I mean, that that's what I preach always about therapy is just the out, outside perspective. Yeah. Sometimes it's so healing to hear someone talk from a completely different perspective. Yeah. Um, obviously, you want that person to be sympathetic and then understand you. But, but just getting this outside perspective in a lot of ways, that's mm-hmm. something a lot of people need to hear. Yeah. A lot because they are so focused on their ways and they don't see maybe the things that they do or maybe the things that they shouldn't do yeah yeah or because they they just don't they don't know you yeah. personally yeah. Yeah. it's a completely unbiased perspective yeah. yeah 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 um i again thanks again for for rebecca for being here for mm-hmm. for being so open and again if you like what you hear uh, before you give your little spiel, I just want to say um, if you're someone out there who oh. is suffering from trauma of any kind um, and you're struggling with your mental health and you're looking for help uh, or you're in more of an emergency state where you, you need someone, uh, we will link some uh, hotlines that you can call, so uh, suicide hotlines and um, just in general Mm -hmm. hotlines for emergency situations where i need to talk to somebody Mm -hmm. Um, we will link all of that for austria and for the us in the description um, and just know that you're not alone and that my dad always says you are loved you are needed and you matter and it's really true so that's true that's true yeah um if you like what you hear please consider subscribing following the podcast rating the podcast reviewing the podcast and if you want to support us in a different way, you can head over to our Patreon, where Joe is still waiting for another hey, Patreon. Joe. Hey, Joe. Thanks, Joe. And yeah, that's it. Until next week. Watch out for deer. Boop, boop.